what's going on? Welcome to the Biz Women Rock podcast. I'm your host, Katie Kremitzos. If you are passionate about growth in your business, if you are growing a purpose-driven business and you want access to education, to resources, and to other amazing businesswomen who can help you do it better every single day, then this is the podcast for you. I have a big secret for you. You do not have to struggle for years to create a profitable and purposeful business that you actually enjoy showing up for every day. It takes three things to create relatively fast results, clarity, focus, and intentional actions. These are the three things I continue to provide support and accountability for, for my private coaching clients, and it's work that seriously lights me up. And it gives them accountability, guidance, strategy, and massive mindset shifts along the way. If you are ready to give up the struggle and have your best year yet in the year ahead, then apply today for my one-year private coaching program. From March 2019 through March 2020, I'm working deeply with just a handful of driven, passionate, and determined women entrepreneurs who are ready to step into their greatness and finally see the results they know that they deserve. And as of now, just six more spots remain. To find out more about my one-year private coaching program and how it can benefit you, go to bizwomenrock.com forward slash my big year and apply today. P.S. Yes, I'm totally on maternity leave right now as you're listening to this. And yes, I am responding to applications as they come in. They are so much fun to read. I know that you have a big why, and I know that you have the fuel inside of you to make the shift from just getting by to truly having the business of your dreams. And that is what I'm here to support in my one-year private coaching program. I can't wait to see your application. bizwomenrock.com forward slash my big year. Kristen Lay began her company, Thimble Press, as a crafting hobby out of her garage in 2012. What began as a desire to express herself and create has turned into an online store with over 300 products on it, including gifts, wall art, and party goods that are all in line with her brand that creates fun and functional products to elevate your space and celebrate life's moments. Think cards, planners, fun gifts, etc. About two years into her business journey, Kristen did something that has forever changed her marketing, her manufacturing, her partnerships, everything about how she does business. She got super clear on her avatar, and her name is Felicity. During this conversation, Kristen and I discuss strategies that she has implemented to stand out in a saturated market, how she's leveraged collaborations with other brands in order to skyrocket her growth how she's prioritized what products she's launching or marketing at any given time. She would have to with 300 products on her website. We also talk about how to tell stories in the images that she creates and why that's so important and what social media platform is the best one for her and the strategies that she uses to convert sales. Overriding all of these practical strategies you're going to hear how Felicity, Kristen's avatar, has influenced them all very deeply. Therefore, she also shares what questions to ask yourself so that you can get just as clear about your avatar. And by the way, that is totally relevant whether you've been in business for three months or three decades. 
So enjoy this conversation with Kristen. Kristen, what's going on, girl? Hey. I'm so excited that you're here on the show today. Thank you so much for coming on. I know. I'm really excited too. I'm going to give yet another shout out to Brittany Lynn, who I feel like I've been giving a lot of shout outs to lately here on the podcast because she has just by friendly nature just keeps on saying like, Hey, you need to check out this lady. And every single woman I check out, I'm like, hell yes, I need to have this woman on this show. (laughs) She's the best. She's amazing. So what I would really love to be able to talk to you about is a little bit about how you started Thimble Press. What was that like? Because I think it's an origin story that a lot of women entrepreneurs can really identify with. Yeah. I actually started out of my garage. And I started while I had a full-time job. And I started as a hobby. I always think you go into a business knowing you're starting a business or you go into a passion or a hobby that evolves into a business. I fell into my business. And so my passion became my job, which is the best thing. So, you know, in eight to five, you go and you work your, your hours in a week, you go and you start a new business and you don't sleep and you work at eight to two, but it's so worth it. It's so worth it. People are like, well, how would you give up like a steady paycheck to go work harder and make less. (laughs) I heard the quote somewhere. I think this is Lori Grenier from Shark Tank who had this quote, but I could be wrong. So forgive me if I am. But it's something to the effect of, I would rather work 80 hours a week for myself than 40 hours a week for someone else. Exactly. Exactly. That's kind of how I feel. What was the first product that you were working on in your garage? I started and operated a design studio in Charleston, South Carolina for years. And so I'd worked with clients for five years. And when I took the full-time job at the school doing marketing, it was at a point in the economy where I was just like, meh, meh, meh. So I was like, this is great. I'll go get an eight to five. It was definitely a detox time for me because I realized, oh my goodness, I'm so used to working all the time. And now I have an eight to five. This is crazy. So of course, I couldn't sit still. So I bought a letterpress and I just wanted to get my hands dirty. I was tired of being on the computer because my background is graphic design. I was tired of being on the computer and just like plugging away. And letterpress kind of just let me get out of that and create and get my hands dirty and just make what I wanted to make and not have to listen to anyone else. And that's kind of where it all started. And so I was tinkering around with the letterpress. I was drawing different things with like pen and ink and then printing them. There was really no strategy to it. Because again, it was not a business. I was going to say, did you intend to actually turn around and sell stuff? Or were you literally just in creation mode? I was just in creation mode. At what point did you have the idea of, I, I can probably turn around and sell this stuff? My roommate at the time had an Etsy and she was like, you should really think about getting an Etsy account. And I was like, what's Etsy? <laughs> and she said, it's great. It's great. It's, you can like put your products on there and sell it and you don't have to build a website. And I thought, okay, maybe I can just make some side money. So I started creating products and not like in a strategy product development type thing. It was, I'm going to make things that I love. If you like them, buy them. If you don't, fine, don't buy them. <laughs> kind of like I was so burned out by being directed or liked or not liked by clients that I was like, I'm just going to do what I want. And if you like it, you can buy it. So I put the things on Etsy and things started selling. 
And then, you know, you kind of get a little high. You kind of get a little buzz from that. You're like, okay, <laughs> okay, this is awesome. I'm making some money. I started making more money doing Etsy than a full-time job. How long did that take? I want to point this out because sometimes people feel like, okay, that happened in a snap, but I'm sure it didn't happen in a snap. How long did it take you to actually be like, hey, I'm making more money online than I am in my job? Well, let me just first preface this with, I'm crazy. (laughs) I hustle my butt off. I work all the time because I want to achieve the biggest dreams. And I follow through, I get it done. I put pedal to metal and went with it. I gave up nights out with friends. I gave up, which I know the whole world now is like self-care, take time for yourself, which I'm all about now. I'm growing into that now. But when I first started, no, it was like, peace out people. I'm going to do something big because I saw one, the money train, two, I am a verbal affirmation love language. People were telling me they liked my products. So in turn, it was like that Monica from Friends moment when she's making all that chocolate in the hallway and Chandler's like, they love your chocolate. But wait, you're not making it because they love the chocolate. You're making it because they love you. I was like, yeah, these people love me. They're buying my products online. This is amazing. And it is, it's a buzz. So I started my Etsy in January, 2012. And I went to my first craft show that May, 2012. Mm -hmm. By the end of 2012, I was doing retail craft shows all across the country from Nashville to Chicago, to Los Angeles, to Greenville, South Carolina, to Tennessee, Mississippi, Atlanta. I was hustling. I was every weekend I was gone doing a show. Mm -hmm. And I attended my first wholesale show in January, 2013 literally not knowing what wholesale was and buckling down about two weeks before the show and figuring it out. And then I attended the National Stationery Show in May, 2013. All of this while having a full-time job. Jeez. So you just like dove right in. Like no joke. I dove right in. I loved the feedback I was getting. I loved the fact that I could do what I love and actually make money. I was in it. And I saw a window that was open for what I was doing. I needed to take advantage of this window while it's open. Because as we know, the economy's kind of gone down a little bit since then <laughs> um, in terms of gift buying. And I had a really wise person say, you need to do this now. Now you need to go to the National Station Show right now. Fast forward to this past summer, I signed with her as my art agent. We've been mm. friends for a really long time. She's always given me really great advice. I love that. So this was 2012 that you really started tinkering around with it as far as like, hey, I can put this up online and it can sell. And fast forward, the moment that we're talking is, you know, towards the latter part of 2018. What I see now in your business and at least on your website is that you've got a really robust catalog of gifts, of wall art, of party goods, of all of these things that you now offer. And my strategic question is, I mean, there's the obvious over the past six years, it's evolved into this, right? But I'm very curious about how you have gone about establishing yourself as a place to go to to purchase those things when those things feel like they exist 
everywhere. You offer cards, like all these beautiful cards. Like somebody can go onto Amazon real quick or go to the big conglomerates to like go get some stuff, go get gifts, go get corporate gifts, go do party goods, all that sort of stuff. You seem to me like a heart-centered business that's so unique and beautiful and boutique. And it's your job to like get people's attention. Can you talk about a couple of ways that you've done that? How have you made sure to stand out in an industry that feels very saturated as far as these types of products go? I actually just led a workshop on marketing for 13 women yesterday. And this is all we talked about. I mean, we talked about a lot more, but this was a huge part of it. One of the ways that I did it was finally realizing I wasn't for everybody. When I started, I was like, I want everyone to love my stuff. And then I realized, wait, no, I need to know my person, my target market, my avatar, and I need to really focus in on them. So I discovered Felicity. She's my avatar. I know her age. I know the brand she loves. The Felicity, my person, she's not going to go buy a greeting card on Amazon. That's just not who she is. Got it. Knowing her pain points, things that make up who she is, her childhood tapes, is she married? Is she single? Really defining that. And that was a game changer for me because once I finally realized, let me talk to my one person instead of trying to talk to everyone because let's view everyone as 12 different buckets. Felicity's in the mix, but those 12 different buckets, if I'm trying to speak to all of them, I'm gradually throwing pennies in each one of them versus if I focus on one, I'm throwing a penny into that one. Well, it's eventually going to get really full. Right. So if I'm trying to speak to everyone, I'm only going to hit the nail on the head. Is that the right saying? The nail on the head, the head on the nail, one of those, (laughs) Yep. Uh, you know, a certain number of times. But if I'm speaking to my girl, I know I'm going to speak to her every time. And I may not every time I may miss it. I may think I am, but I may miss it. Having her and having what she looks like, having her whole life. And she's really become like a team member almost. (laughs) I really base all of the products I develop around her, the things she has going on in her life. What is she struggling with? She wants to be seen. She wants to be heard. She wants to feel unique in who she is. I mean, and that's very broad. I have a lot more detailed things about her too. Really discovering that person that you want to speak to. And someone would say, well, what if I'm doing a lot of different things? Right. Well, that's okay. But you still need to have one person you're speaking to because you're always going to have what I call as the fringe. You're going to have people like I have women that are in their 60s that love Thimble Press. And I love them for loving Thimble Press. But they're not my target market, but they still purchase it and they still love it. Right. You're always going to have that, but you're going to be more successful. And they're like, but I don't think I have as many people that will hit that. I'm like, yes, you do. It's that fear then that holds us back from doing it because we think there's not enough of those people. And the beauty about being able to isolate who your avatar really is and being able to intelligently not have your energy go to all of those other 11 buckets, right? Is that you get to be really intentional, what I call going an inch wide and a mile deep. You really get to be very intentional and deep with how you're speaking to her, how you're attracting her, how you're speaking to her pain points, all that sort of stuff. So you can really go deep there. And and the thing is, we have some products that I developed before I knew Felicity still on our website. But you know, eventually, we slowly phase them out because they're not really where we are anymore because we know our girl, we know what she wants. And eventually, those things need to disappear because I always say you're defined by your weakest piece. You know, you're defined by the thing that doesn't make as much sense, that doesn't look as good, that isn't as great as the other things. You know, it's like you submit 10 logos to a client 
and you put the ones in that you don't like at all. And what are the ones they pick? The ones you don't like at all. (laughs) (laughs) It happens time and time again. Take it out. If you don't like it, take it out. So getting clear about your avatar, huge, right? Like really discovering Felicity, really giving her like a profile, like really understanding. We've talked so much. I feel like it's every conversation on this podcast that that my guests really identify that. And that was being like a big turning point for them. Can you give some practical questions or guidance on how someone can really discover that? And by the way, this is so relevant to you listening, whether you've been in business for 3 days or 30 years, because I feel like it's always worthwhile stopping and taking the time to ask these questions or to go a little deeper into who you are best serving. Can you give some ideas or guidance or questions on what you can be asking in order to get more clarity on that? Yes. One of the things you can do, and I always say data is so important, analyzing who's coming to your website, what products are selling most, who's following you online, who's interacting with you, who's engaging with you in terms of like more engagement than usual. And also, who do you want to target? Who do you want to make products for? Right. Don't let necessarily the outsiders define your brand. Define your brand for yourself and then go forth and create products for that person. What you can do is I like to find those people in terms of like people that are online and have social media profiles. I can go and like look through their feed. Are they a Felicity? When I say you want to have all the things about that person, there may be one or two things that aren't Felicity, but the majority is Felicity. Yeah. And learning to interact with them and engage with them and get them to become brand supporters of you. But data, I think, is so important. So like going into your website and seeing what blogs are linking you, where your traffic's coming from, I think that's so important to dig into. And another thing is that you can also go into is your core values, which I think are so important. And I didn't even develop this till I was two years old because again, I didn't go into my business knowing I was starting a business. I went into my business as a hobby. And then once I took the time, which it was about a year of work to develop my avatar. And this is not full time, but I mean, like when I would take the time to work on it, it was about a year to do my avatar, my core values. You can do it a lot faster, but I wanted to make sure those didn't fluctuate that I knew exactly what my core values were as a company so that I could know who to partner with. And that's another thing you can do. Who are companies that your target market loves? What are brands they love? What are they doing in their marketing? What are they doing in their strategies? Are they companies that you could possibly partner with? I love doing that. I love collaborating with other brands that are like-minded to me and that also speak to my target market. Well, so that is one example, like really collaborating with other brands. That's one example of a purposeful marketing strategy created once you really are clear in your avatar. So give me like a mini case study on what a collaboration might look like for you or what a successful one has looked like for you in relation to executing part of a marketing strategy, getting more people who wouldn't already know about your brand to know about you. Perfect. I'll talk about the one we just did because every collaboration we do, there's strategy behind it. One, the company's got to align with our core values as a company. If someone's doing something that you don't agree with, you don't support, it's going to end up causing you red flags in the future. But one of the collaborations we just launched is with Chasing Paper. They're a removable wallpaper company. And the reason why I wanted to partner with them is because one, it's a female-owned company. Two, it's a removable wallpaper. So for years, I'd wanted to create a wallpaper line. But my avatar, Felicity, she rents. Mm. She also doesn't want to mess 
with wallpaper, paste, and taking it down and painting her wall after she leaves her apartment. Working with Jason Paper is perfect because Felicity would buy removable wallpaper. Why? It's easy to put up and it peels right off. So if you move into an apartment, you're there for two years, you can make your place look and feel like your own, super unique, which is important to my target market. But then you can remove it and you're not going to get fined by your landlord. That was a perfect partnership of her audience is my audience. Her audience is someone that wants the flexibility to be able to define their home in a unique way through their wallpaper designs. Most of them probably rent or don't own a home. If they do own a home, that's great. But mostly you're going to find renters. They're great for dorm rooms. Right. That's my perfect target market. I need that. So what happens is when you work with a company that, again, similar values, and it speaks to what your target market is looking for. When you go share online or on social media that you're collaborating with this brand, what it does is if they post about us, we post about them, we're exposing each other's audiences to new audiences. Right. I love that. They're being able to see, oh, well, what is this company? They may go check me out and they may may become a new Thimblepress fan. And same with Thimblepress fan, they become a Jason Paper fan. Right. So what does that actual collaboration look like? It could look like a lot of different things. I just want to make sure that that's super clear. Like it could look just like that. Like, hey, we're promoting you. You promote us. Yay. We're all good. What did that structure actually look like? So I designed about 10 different wallpaper designs that I thought were very on brand for us, but also that I felt like Felicity would want to have in her home. And I submitted them to Chasing Paper and we talked through it back and forth. She told me what her audience... I always ask, what are your best-selling products Mm -hmm. before I design something? What sells the best for you? Because there's something in that then. I want to go look and see. So I went and evaluated what she was doing really well. And we kind of merged and came up with a line of wallpaper that we could sell as the Thimble Press Chasing Paper collaboration. People will buy it on her website and then we negotiate a percentage of sales that we then get every quarter. So that's kind of how it works. And we continue to promote one another's companies. And the cool thing is it's genuine friendship that we have together. We've been to dinner together in New York. She's just so sweet and so kind. Um, Same with my collaboration with Moon and Lola. They're a jewelry company based out of North Carolina. Kelly Chutat is the owner and her and I have a dear friendship. And that's what makes it so fun is that you're working with people you really love and you really enjoy and that have similar target market. So it's fun. I love the fact that you're giving voice to the strategy of collaboration in realistic terms about you know how it's set up in your business, what that might look like, and then the purpose of it, right? Like It's so powerful. And what I really love about smart collaborations is that it's a win-win-win. It's a win for their brand because now your people are introduced to their brand. It's a win for your brand for the exact reverse reasons. And it's a win for the customer who gets exactly what they want in the way that they want it, right? Exactly. Exactly. And it's such a good way to like... While I'm all about growing your business one great customer at a time, this is such a good way to just the net really wide and get a lot of people looking at an audience that's already there, who's already following a kind of a sister brand, if you will, and you get to be in front of them. It's a good way to capture a lot of people at once. Right. And the thing is too, is it creates a separate revenue stream for your business. So I'm not having to like manufacture or house these products in our studio. I'm never going to make wallpaper. I've always wanted to though. So it's great to partner with a company that does it already and does it well. 
I have a whole separate bucket for licensing as part of my business. And we do a lot of licensing. We've collaborated with Target. We collaborated with Hallmark. And we've created lines for them. And again, it's just really fun to be able to create something and design something and not have to be the one that's manufacturing it. How many products do you have on your site that you sell? We just edited it down, but we have over 300. Okay. So a lot, right? Mm-hmm. How are you constantly managing what is at the forefront? What product or grouping of products or collections is getting the focus for marketing? How are you really prioritizing that at any given moment? What I will tell you is I've had a lot of failure in that before. I remember once I launched 97 products in a launch. And after that, I was like, (laughs) what was... You know, you sometimes have to... Sometimes I learn things the hard way. And I was like, I've really focused now on like doing small launches so that I can give each product its own spotlight. 97 products. Granted, a lot of those are greeting cards. But still, it's a product. It's investment of time and design and manufacturing. And so I will never do that again. Do not do a big product launch spread it out. It will be okay because honestly, people are so bombarded with images all day long. They're never going to remember all 97, hold some back and drip release it or release it in smaller launches like twice a year or three times a year. But I was doing like... I did like 40 launch the first part of the year, then 97 and then like 40 again. And I was like, this is too much. So again, I've really pulled back on how many products I'm launching in terms of thimble press products, strictly just thimble press products a year. And because we do have all these licensing collaborations so that I can focus on our thimble press products and our licensing at the same time, I really think about when I want to market a product, what's happening in the world or what's happening in the year. You know, you have school time coming up, you have holidays. They're just things that everyone experiences together as a whole. If back to school is coming up, I'm obviously going to be marketing my notepads and my confetti tape and anything that would be desk oriented for teachers or for students. I love that. Just being really intentional with the timing of things, what products go right into and lend themselves right into that particular season or holiday or any... That's exactly it. And then when I do photo shoots, I really like to tell a story. So instead of me just taking a flat lay of a Christmas card, I'm going to go into my kitchen, maybe like put down a fake marble top on my countertop, bring some flour out, roll some cookie dough, press a snowflake, have a cup of coffee, all kind of off to the side, maybe have a hand in it, but it's not a child's hand. Now, if your brand was like a mom or something, if you're target market, that would make sense. But like maybe her nails are like beautiful, but she doesn't bake all the time, but she's like getting ready to make cookies for her friend's holiday party. So maybe it's a glass of champagne and she's making cookies, but she's got the cards. She's going to write in the card to put it with the cookies before she goes to the party. So you're telling a story of, of Felicity's life through your flat lays. Or like when we did our notepads, I had the Beats by Dre, you know, headphones laying next to it because those are the headphones she would wear. I had some light pink bubble nail polish off to the side because that's what she would be putting on her nails. And she's at her desk and she's about to start her to-do list for the day and plug in a podcast. So telling the story of Felicity through our flat lays is also really important to me and what's going on in her life. I love that. Again, it just makes your stuff another level deep with knowing your target market. So when your Felicity sees these images, she's connecting to it on more than just a, oh, it's a flat lay. Yeah. 
I love this because I'm hearing just how your avatar saturates everything that you do and knowing Mm -hmm. your avatar saturates everything that you do, rightfully so. I want to end with this question that's very specific to your social media and how you are out there representing yourself and marketing on social media. I mean, obviously, images are massively important to you. What has been the most quote-unquote successful social media platform for you? And can you give me an example of how you use it in a way that is very intentional for your business? Yeah. So Instagram is for sure our most popular social media platform, but that's also because it's Felicity's favorite platform. If my target market wasn't an Instagram generation or was more on Facebook, I would be investing my time on Facebook. But on Instagram, Felicity... And I talk about Felicity like she's a real person, but she constantly needs reassurance. And she loves a Pinterest quote. She loves quotes. She loves reading something that makes her feel like she can relate and she feels deep into that. So we do a lot of quotes. And a lot of that's because that I like that too. Yeah. But a lot of it is because Felicity loves the quotes that make her feel connected and make her feel like she's not alone and that make her feel sane. And our quotes that we post and illustrate, those always get so much because Felicity loves that deeper level stuff. She just does. And of course, confetti always. Anytime we do a confetti post, people really love that. And anytime I post the dogs, I think (laughs) it's because the dogs, you don't even have to be a specific avatar to like them. Right. They're just cute. I have a fellow uh, podcaster of mine, a very dear friend of mine, and we laugh about how we could be posting about the podcast here and whatever inspirational thing over here and our life here. But then when she posts pictures about the dog and when I post pictures about Sammy, my bird, like, oh my God, it blows up every time. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's, you know what it is? Because I think, and I was telling this to the people yesterday at my workshop, this, I said, at the end of the day, it all boils down to love, marketing, outreach, engagement. It's all about love. People want to feel seen. They want to feel loved. They want to feel important. And animals give that unconditional love and people love them. Most people, you have your every now and then person that doesn't like dogs or birds or something, but most people do. And I think it's because there's a sense of love attached to that. I really do. And I I think that's why they like quotes because they feel that engaged feeling, you know? Yeah. And I know it sounds so cheesy when I say that, but I really do. I think it all boils down to that. That's how I think influencer stuff got started. People felt important and they felt seen and they could then turn that into a job. And it's really cool to to see, like if once you break all that down, it's kind of cool to see that. But I think people just want that connection. And so we try to be as authentic as we can to our brand and to who we are and to our felicity, you know? Yeah. I love that. Kristen, thank you so much for being here and for sharing your story and for giving real voice and a ridiculous amount of examples of how knowing our avatar bleeds into every aspect of our business from what products we're creating to how we're marketing to how we're showing up, everything from top to bottom. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. It was really fun. 
Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to today's episode. I never take it for granted that you, a very busy and high performing woman entrepreneur, listens to the Biz Women Rock podcast. If you got any value out of today's show, if there were any aha moments that you had, I would so appreciate you turning around and sharing it with another woman entrepreneur who needs that aha as well. From me and the entire Biz Women Rock team, we'll see you on the next episode. Bye.